0: What's going on everybody? Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. It is good to be with you. We haven't done this in a while, but I'll tell you it is episode 81. I'm Harrison. If you can believe we've made it that far, Mike.
1: And I'm Mike, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville 81. Goodness gracious.
0: Yeah, I think for a hundred we need to rent like a bounce house or something.
1: There are three things... That will always uh, mark for me the start of the pandemic, the shutdown, etc. And one of those three is the beginning of this podcast. That That's we, right. Before.
0: That's right. We had just gotten rolling and then everything everything went crazy.
1: Today's subject is 21 things every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit. From my favorite book. Uh, of the numbers that I have been immersing myself in this last year on the Holy Spirit,
0: but first, I'm excited for that. It's Easter
1: Week. Harrison. That's right, it is. I'm excited for that.
0: I'm excited for Easter Week too. It's 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 uh you know we get we get two big opportunities just with how our calendar shapes up and our culture shapes up that we know that we're gonna have a lot of folks. Uh, through our doors, who are, uh, if not, uh, you know, if not even not Christ followers at all, at least maybe disconnected from the faith.
1: Yeah, probably more that than yeah. the other. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, it's just always a, it's always a good, a good energizing thing for us on our staff team all around, just knowing that uh, we have an opportunity, especially over that Easter weekend, to really uh, put the gospel on display for people.
1: The lead pastors of the Lake Forest family of churches met over lunch yesterday outside because it was, it was beautiful at Yoshi's grill here in Huntersville. And we each uh, shared our Easter plans for the worship services, what we're working on for our sermons, which are a little bit different at each church. Um, And, uh, and then we prayed for each other. We, uh, we just kind of asked what personally and for your church. And we kind of, We did the classic out-on-the-patio Yoshi's pray for the person on your left. Uh, (laughs) And uh, so that's the lead pastors plus Mitch, our executive pastor. And I put my hand on Terrell Huntley, pastor of Lake Forest U City, and prayed for him, and it went on around. He prayed for uh, Aaron Gibson, pastor at Lake Forest Westlake, who put his hand over and prayed for Victor Leal. Whose wife Roseme is the Easter preacher at Lake Forest El Buen Samaritano? Awesome. awesome! I was like, "Well, Victor, what? What did you like? Have a vote? Which pastor would we like to preach on Easter?" And they voted for <laughs> Roseme? He's like, "No, Roseme and I just decided." <laughs> and then Victor prayed for uh, Mitch, Pastor Mitch, and then Mitch for me. So, That's awesome! Um, looking forward to that. Interestingly, I, I bet you didn't know this, um, at Lake Forest Huntersville. Oftentimes, we have had a Good Friday service. We haven't done it for a few years, uh, pandemic, pandemic. But then also, since we've started doing a Saturday evening Easter worship, the turnaround for our worship center to have Good Friday worship on Friday, and then that has been a little little much. And uh, we'll get back to that at some point. But interestingly, Lake Forest Westlake over in Denver, is, there's their first Easter weekend in their building. They are holding their... Um, Good Friday service, so you can go worship there. Lake Forest U City is having an online-only Good mm. Friday service. Wow. I'm going to worship with them, at which Terrell's father will be the main instrumentalist for that service.
0: Nice. I had no idea. That is awesome. Well, I know for sure Terrell, you know, there's part of this that's just practical. Mike, you like talking about church planning. It's, it's, uh, how your brain is wired. Um, I I've seen in Terrell something that I saw originally when, when our family moved up here to North Carolina, my dad, who had been a pastor already for 20 years, um, moved up here to help start a church. And it's funny because in the early church days, I'm sure you can, you can attest probably some Moses boys got roped into some stuff, but there is a point (laughs) where as a church planner. A quarter of the people doing the work around you are your family that you're like, hey, I need some help. Come help me out.
1: Angie looks back and laughs at the leadership roles and other things that she was leading or serving in that are so outside of her giftedness or anything she's passionate about <laughs> in the first couple <laughs> of years weird. of our church. And yet it needed to be <clears throat> done to be a healthy body of Christ. And now she loves being in her lane her spiritual gifts and where she's called to serve and that's kind of what I do too and you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Harrison, do you did your family growing up have any interesting uh, Easter traditions around Easter weekend?
0: I think just the normalish kind of stuff, I would assume. But we would uh, you know, we'd go over to grandparents' houses who would have Easter egg hunts set up for us and on on Easter morning, although probably it's the same way with my kids now that I'm thinking back, it was probably Easter afternoon. Cause Easter morning, I'm getting up, getting ready, heading in here to get ready for a full day of, uh, church, but yeah, get home from church. Everyone's got Easter basket with all the, there's probably a big giant hollow chocolate bunny in there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, and then having a, a really good meal with fit with family and friends. But I will say this, uh, and I'll ask you the same question in a second, but as an adult, um, my family kind of teases me a little bit because Easter is actually my favorite holiday to get together with the family with, because, uh, it's just, we've, we are, it's a celebration Mm -hmm. day. Anyways, we, by the time we're done here, we'll have done church stuff and it's just kind of a big breath. There's no, there's no, uh, presents we're worrying about it's just hanging together and eating good food and just enjoying resurrection day i i love easter afternoon easter monday day after just 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 enjoying and breathing it in that's me
1: our uh number one easter tradition was my mom well we would always have easter baskets and mom and dad would make sure of that and it would have all the stuff in it and easter egg hunts and we would dress up And go to worship. Uh, But the main feature in our family was mom would make an Easter bunny cake. So she would, if you picture one round layer of a cake (laughs) is the face of the bunny. And then she would bake another, you know, like two layer cake. But the second layer she would cut so that two slices were the ear, the Easter bunny ears, and then there was a slice below it that was like a bow tie or something. Uh that might be a little different. It might be the shoulders or something yeah. like that or the ears. <clears> or <throat> oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, the 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 ears were there. And that was our tr- every single year, uh, all the way through me raising my sons. And uh now every year gets quoted when Dylan, our oldest, I don't know how old he was, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um he was like, "Well, Grammy, how come we don't have a Jesus cake um for Easter because isn't that what Easter is about? and we all sort of fidgeted awkward a like moment when a child speaks the truth uh, <laughs> so so Dylan always gets quoted at our Easter, and yet we still do the Easter Bunny. Well, my mom does the Easter Bunny cake yeah. when we're with her because um <laughs> angie uh because Growing up in a pastor's family, we never did uh, Easter basket or the Easter bunny coming to my house with my children. That just was not a part of their lives.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. I don't think it was probably part of ours either. And my my kids, even Lily, who's five, is like the Easter bunny's not real, right? I'm like, do, do you really want to know? Yes, <laughs> it's, just, it's not. You're very smart. Yeah, Good job.
1: Yeah, I love <clears throat> Santa Claus. Played it as long as I possibly could without lying to my children. Yeah. But we did not even begin with the Easter Bunny. Yeah. Um, It's
0: a little creepy when you think about it, but
1: Let's talk about the Holy Spirit.
0: Let's do it. Harrison,
1: we've (laughs) mentioned on this podcast, certainly in our worship services, that we uh, we think that along with um, general Protestant American evangelicalism, of the last number of years that at Lake Forest. I, I'm self critical of my own pastoring leadership that we have not emphasized the person, work, and presence of the Holy Spirit as much as as is the Holy Spirit's rightful due, biblically mm-hmm. and experientially for the Christian in our last number of years. And and we are attempting to rectify that, to grow in our engagement with the Holy Spirit, both as a church in Sunday worship, but but I really mean for it to be in our lives as disciples all day, every day. And so part of my own commitment to helping us grow as a church in this way and as individuals is, is just my own personal growth. I realize that I have had my own relationship with God through the Holy Spirit very powerfully um, for my whole adult life, but I've maybe— Neglected to connect it to the Holy Spirit. I've just maybe thought of it more generically as my relationship with God and my experience of God. Quite frankly, yeah. and I'm I'm learning to name that more as the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that that I've been doing is uh, attempting to read some of the more um, noteworthy or time tested writings about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives. And what I have discovered is the most um, time-tested and recommended book that I would recommend to you all, and I'm going to make a few quotes from it today, is a book called Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall. Um, Holy Fire, the subtitle of this book, is a balanced biblical look at the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. R.T. Kendall was a pastor of a well-known um, influential church in uh, London for a decade or so. Uh, he was a Reformed Baptist. I don't know if he's still alive. Uh, this book was written not that – let's see. Can you hear him leafing through the pages right now?
0: As he's leafing, let me describe to you just so you can see that Mike is telling the truth – this book he is holding is the best kind of, of book. It has <laughs> numerous post-it notes sticking out of it. It's dog-eared. It looks a little weathered. Like at some point maybe you're reading it, and, hey, it. I spilled some water it. some water or coffee or something.
1: There's a napkin something. that was my bookmark.
0: So he, he really <laughs> likes this book. If you saw this book, you would know this is a book that Mike carries around a lot. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um,
1: I uh, I finished it this January, but I started it probably six months ago. Holy Fire, R.T. Kendall, Reformed Baptist, so uh, evangelical pastor.
0: Who was alive.
1: Um, Who was alive. And so the fir- first thing I want to say is I there was this early and mid-20th century fear of the um, – Abuses, or we might say the um, the yeah, I'll just say the abuses or the crazy side of charismatic Christianity within evangelical Protestantism that led many evangelicals to downplay or downgrade the role of the role of the Holy Spirit to the point that I grew up in a church that taught cessationism. Can you define cessationism, Harrison?
0: I could have defined it better for you 15 years ago, uh, freshly out of my theology. I, pro- I think I probably have a guess, but for risk of feeling oh, and sounding on. super... Cessationism, is that is that the view that uh, after kind of the apostolic period, that's when miraculous signs and wonders, outp- like outward expressions of the Holy Spirit... The, those were cut off at a certain point. Now we have all the evidence we need and the Holy Spirit doesn't work in that way anymore?
1: Correct. That um, the, in particular, the, the, there's this, uh, what looking back on it now, I, w- I would say is this uh, willy-nilly division of the different lists of the spiritual gifts in different parts of the New Testament, that those that require some kind of supernatural inspiration... Uh, miracles, speaking in tongues, word of knowledge, discernment of spirits, th- those sort of that we would think of as more supernatural, that all of those gifts were only for the apos- the original apostolic generation to establish the Christian faith, and those gifts have ceased and are no longer operative in the church today. Um, and I just took that as a matter of course in the church gro- that I grew up in. Later, um, I, I looked back and was like, "What's the biblical basis for that teaching?" And there is none. <laughs> the verse given by the church that I grew up in in good faith, in good faith, yeah, um, was in the the wedding chapter on love, First Corinthians thirteen um, which I read at every wedding. It's classic, it's kind of cheesy. But it's classic. It's the best definition of love ever written. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of it, it's like, but something will cease, tongues will cease, gifts will cease, but love never fails. Um, Paul's making (laughs) a rhetorical point. He's not speaking in any way about spiritual gifts there. It's the flimsiest of biblical arguments. There are entire denominations— in which to be or one of them being the PCA the Presbyterian Church in America in which to be ordained there you have to say i believe all those miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased with the apostolic generation uh, and they're not operable today yeah. um, by far the majority christian witness and understanding and history of interpretation of the bible um believes otherwise that all the gifts are operative for today we believe that the epc our denomination believes that we as a church believe it um we don't manifest uh for example speaking in tongues or words of prophecy in our worship service for various reasons the number one reason one having to do with our mission but number two having to do with the fact that i've not as the presider over our worship services i've not been given the gift of discernment of spirits and so somebody could tell me hey i've got a prophecy i'd be like i have no idea is that from yeah. the holy spirit is that from the evil one is that from your weirdness um and so uh, which i have been approached was in the past with people wanting to give a a, a prophecy in our worship service mm-hmm. so all that to say cessationism has no biblical basis that if you read the new testament at face value All the spiritual gifts that are spoken of in the New Testament given to the church are operative for today. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, and this book, Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall, he also goes to great lengths to speak of the dangers of of what he might call charismania or strange fire is a phrase Mm -hmm. when people talk about um, uh, sort of charismatic abuses of teaching on the holy spirit which go to uh really weird places we don't need to get into that um but he he goes to great lengths to document what really would define uh strange fire instead of holy fire from the holy spirit and which is another reason i recommend this book
0: hmm i'm i'm reminded of um I won't. I won't get into any specifics, but a, a while back I, I attended a a conference of a, of a very uh, Pentecostal expression of worship more than I was accustomed to, and I'll tell you a part of it that left me uh, feeling a little uncomfortable. If you're talking about strange fire or maybe the the dangers of going too far one way, it felt to me, Mike, like there was a, a um how to say it well there there's a lot of power and emphasis in the situation it felt like to me was being given to the people proclaiming things almost as if by saying it they could make Mm -hmm. god do something that they want to happen just because they believe it enough they're proclaiming it boldly enough they're saying it loudly enough and i was kind of left there like the question just kept kind of ringing through my brain you know what if what if what this human it wants in this moment is maybe not the same thing that God wants in this moment. Just by me believing it enough, I don't think I can believe God into doing something he doesn't want to do. And that, that left me feeling a little, the, the push and pull of, of making sure that as you talk about the spirit, I'm sure we're going to get into, there's such a role of our relationship with the spirit of just us being listeners and God using his spirit to change even the things that we think we want into better things into things more aligned with his purposes for us. So anyways,
1: what, one of the signs of strange fire is authoritarianism of a leader or a proclaimer hmm. uh thus saying thus saith the lord with no um spiritual authority over them uh checks and balances or being checked by the the revealed word of god. Uh, A second mark of strange fire is anyone claiming that a revelation of the Holy Spirit through them is equal to or different from what is uh, the written revealed word of God, which is once for all spoken and may not be added to, according to the last chapter of Revelation. Hmm. A third, uh, I, I think the most prominent factor of strange fire today in unhealthy charismatic circles is this uh, incredibly prevalent emphasis on a health and wealth gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ will result in you being healthy and wealthy at all times if you are a person of faith. That is the number one expression of strange fire, almost heretical expression of Uh, of um, uh, uh, unhealthy streams of Holy Spirit-oriented Christianity.
0: And you hear scary stories of people who are well-meaning people who attend some of these churches who hear teachings like that who uh, say you have a a kid. You hear stories of kids getting sick and passing away and parents just being racked with guilt because... In that scenario, a lot of it has to do with how much did I believe that they were gonna, that God was going to move, He was going to heal. Was there something wrong with the way that I prayed or approached it? And that, that just it hurts me to hear stuff like that. It,
1: it it negates the Word of God in Romans eight that says uh, our our bodies are in bondage to decay in this age uh, of history hmm. before Christ returns. Um, I was yesterday with a family who's uh, – the patriarch of the family is in his 90s, and he is uh, uh, in the process of passing away uh, from dementia and a few other illnesses. And um, it would have been, um, uh, I don't know, inhumane and unreal to that part of God's word. Our bodies are in bondage to decay, this, this man's body is now in the process, in the fulfillment of that word of being released, Romans 8 says, from bondage to decay into the freedom of the children children of God in uh, in God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, so let's turn to the positive for a few more minutes. Yeah. And on page 12 of Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall, he says, There are 21 things every Christian should know about the Holy Spirit. 21 principles Summarize the things the Bible says about the Holy Spirit generally, and what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit particularly. Harrison, may I shotgun these twenty-one things about the Holy Spirit to you and the rest of our friends? Hit it. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. <laughs> um, and and I um, when Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, it said in Acts five four he lied to God specifically second Corinthians 3:17 says the Lord is the Spirit. Um, we, we may speak of the deity of Jesus Christ that he's God because he is uh, We don't feel a need to speak about the deity of God the Father like that sounds redundant uh, and yet um, uh, the neglected member of the Trinity is God the Holy Spirit. Uh, every bit as much as Jesus being God, the Father being God. And so we are to never underestimate or take for granted the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you, that's God in you. You can worship the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed, Harrison? Well, probably not because you're getting like your ear plugs back in and plugging in your guitar. I don't know if you ever even hear my sermon, at uh, my prayer at the end of sermons these days. Have you noticed that I very often now, I, out of this and other works, I'm, I am encouraging people to talk to the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that?
0: I have actually, and just as behind the scenes, yes, we have as of like a year and a half ago, or actually a year right before sabbatical, we have a new in-ear system that really clearly gives me straight from your mic to my ear, so Uh-oh. I can hear you really good now. <laughs> Okay. So I am listening. Um,
1: the, many Christians are reluctant to pray or sing to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Do not be afraid to talk directly to the Holy Spirit who is God and and is specifically revealed as God's eminence or God's presence to us. So so I'm being very purposeful. It's not an accident. At the end of my sermons, when I encourage you, or in the middle of a sermon, I'll say, Hey, why don't you talk to the Holy Spirit for a minute and ask this question? That's number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a person jesus referred to the holy spirit as he john 14 16 16 8 introduced the holy spirit as being another um uh, another uh, relating it to what jesus is who was a person to us and so never think of the holy spirit as an it an attitude or an influence the holy spirit is a person and has very definite ways you can call the holy spirit's ways peculiar eccentric or unique but the holy spirit has his ways um, uh, this is the only holy spirit we have it's a person of god and the holy spirit will not adjust to me i must adjust to the holy spirit um, number three the holy spirit is eternal hebrews 9 14 How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, the eternal spirit that kind of goes hand in glove with being God um, equal to a person of God. But the Holy Spirit's eternal. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus said of himself that he is, quote, the way, the truth and the life And so equally, the Holy Spirit is truth. Um, Jesus himself was full of, (coughs) excuse me, grace and truth. Uh, And Jesus said the Holy Spirit will lead us or convict us of all truth uh, as the Holy Spirit is given to us. Number five, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Genesis chapter one, verse two, quote, the spirit of God. This is in the Hebrew scriptures. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, number six, the Holy Spirit using people wrote the Bible. Second um, Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God breathed. Um, the Spirit is often re- referred to as God's breath or the the, the that living in and out. And Jesus says that as well. The spirit is the, is the wind. Um, this means that any leading or prophetic word, word of knowledge or vision, one, a person may have today influenced by the Holy spirit must cohere with Holy scripture because the Holy spirit, uh, superintended the writing of it. Um,
0: that's actually a cool way to look at one of the songs that we sing. The chorus okay. starts out, It's your it's your breath in our lungs. Oh yeah. As we pour out our praise to you, that'll give me a little different thought about it the next time we sing. That's it.
1: one of my favorite worship phrases of ours right now. Yeah. Number seven, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. John fourteen twenty six, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And then in first John two twenty seven John writes, "You do not need anyone to teach you, but at his, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, remain in him." And so, the Holy Spirit is our teacher in basically two ways: directly and indirectly. Um, uh, <coughs> and so, directly is illuminating Scripture, and indirectly is how the Holy Spirit applies. What we read or hear in Scripture or from others. Um, number eight: The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians four, Ephesians four, verse thirty: Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Um, the the so the Holy Spirit's a person, and this person can be grieved. The Greek word there is lupeo, which can mean get your feelings hurt interesting hmm. um without going into too much there's an entire chapter on this concept by the way in this book but what hurts the holy spirit's feelings chiefly uh, this is interesting by the author bitterness because the next thing paul writes after that the holy spirit don't grieve the holy spirit is get rid of all bitterness rage anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Hmm. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Uh, Kendall has written, Pastor Kendall has written an entire book on this called The Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And he argues how sensitive the person of the Holy Spirit is. And that if we are conscious of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit, we will develop an acute sensitivity to The Holy Spirit Hmm. in ever-increasing measure. Number nine, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. What's the difference between grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit? Well, he writes, they almost certainly overlap, but if there's a difference, it's probably this. We grieve the Spirit by our relationships with one another, like judging and unforgiveness, We quench the Spirit when we are prejudiced toward the way the Spirit may be manifesting himself and by not respecting the Holy Spirit's presence. Hmm. And it's usually fear that lies behind quenching the Holy Spirit. Super interesting. Hmm. Number 10, because there's 21. So 10. All right. The Holy Spirit will be the one who convicts. You're, we're all very familiar with this. In John 16, 8, Jesus said, The Holy Speaking of the Holy Spirit, The Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, this is true before our conversion and after our conversion. It's spoken of as the world. Hmm. Um, this is why John said, writing to Christians in 1 John, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, Number 11, 11. The Holy Spirit is our guide, John 16:13. The Spirit will guide you into all the truth, Jesus said. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 2:14, "The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Sometimes we experienced Christians, Kendall writes who know sound theology, need to humble ourselves and admit our need for further illumination by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our guide. Number 12, the Holy Spirit speaks only what the Father gives him to say. John sixteen thirteen, the Spirit will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. Um, the Holy Spirit continues this same pattern that Jesus said he follows that he can do or speak only what he sees the Father doing or saying. Number 13, the Holy Spirit will predict the future. John sixteen thirteen Again, it's, this is like um, the, uh, John the Apostle in his gospel. He's like the Holy Spirit-oriented apostle yeah. and gospel. I mean, it's in all of them. But he really had ears to hear Jesus teaching about the Holy Spirit. So number 13 the holy spirit will predict the future John 16:13 Jesus said the spirit will tell you what is to come This is the basis for prophecy Number 14 the holy spirit will glorify Jesus Christ John 16:14 The spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you Uh, One of the interesting characteristics of the Trinity, Kendall says, is that the persons of the Godhead heap praise on one another. (laughs) There's no jealousy nor rivalry in the Godhead. Um, The Father doesn't mind if you pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit, uh, nor the reverse. (laughs) Um, They honor one another and glorify one another.
0: Um, It's interesting that even in the person of uh, the Trinity, like you talked about, uh, there is already those seeds planted. Of there's no, there's no bitterness there. Bitterness does not even exist in in their re- relationship to each other. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, and and Jesus said the Holy Spirit would take quote what is mine uh, and make it known. Hmm. Well, what what is mine according to Jesus? Well, his work as Redeemer. And the glory and praise he he deserves after overcoming death and sin. And, And think of this. Jesus prayed this in John 17. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And the Holy Spirit is to take that glory, which is Christ, and magnify it in you and I. Number 15, the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. Matthew twelve thirty one. Jesus taught, Blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Kendall writes this, The unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is committed when one's final verdict regarding the gospel is to show contempt for the Spirit's testimony, which is to glorify Christ revealing his deity. If you can say, from your heart that Jesus Christ is God, you have not committed this sin. Please do not worry. As the Apostle Paul wrote, no person can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. 16, the Holy Spirit is our reminder. John 14, 26, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. Um, number 17, the Holy Spirit gives power. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and be my witnesses. Uh, The power of the Holy Spirit was experienced basically in three areas in the New Testament church. First, there was a demonstration of supernatural power. Uh, There was like this visible display of fire. That's why this book is titled Holy Fire. Second, they were given an inner power to grasp the reality of the gospel and the certainty of salvation for Christians. Uh, And third, this was a power to witness. It was for mission. It it was not only a supernatural power, a power of inner certainty about the truth of the good news of Jesus and our own adoption as sons and daughters of him. That's a power uh, of the, that comes from the Holy spirit, but it's a power to witness. Number 18, the Holy Spirit manifests through various spiritual gifts. You're very aware of that one. Number 19. Uh, sometimes I'll say the best way to discover your spiritual gift is to, you know, so you see some of the activ- the spiritual gifts names in the New Testament, named in the New Testament, just like act out on one of those and when you do this, does the Holy Spirit do something more? Yeah. Hmm. To build someone up in their faith or bring them to faith. And then that's a spiritual gift. That's how you know. 19, the Holy Spirit directs people to Jesus and makes him real. John fifteen twenty six. He will testify about me. Um, no one comes to salvation without the Holy Spirit, um, uh, directing people to Jesus and making him real as the son of God. Um, Number 20, the Holy Spirit manifests through various fruit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Number 21, the Holy Spirit gives renewed power. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You mentioned, um, coming back here with the worship team uh, on a recent Sunday and noting that you had all experienced the power of the Holy Spirit moving over the congregation. What was that moment?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, actually it's a long-standing thing. I do it, uh, since I've been here at Lake Forest, I, I have this same thing I say about every time that it's tangible, but yeah, a couple Sundays ago, uh, 930 service we all walked off the stage together and you 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 can feel it when you're there and also you kind of look in the eyes of the other people on the team and you kind of see this like everyone's kind of like what whoa you've you you've experienced something and when that happens i just make sure to tell everyone hey that thing that we're all feeling right now just so you know that is that's a holy spirit thing that's not us you guys did great i'm sure by by serving faithfully to what God called you to do, you, you help create avenues where he can do that. But we pray all the time before almost every Sunday. I, I pray with our team, God, do, uh, do the things by your spirit that only you can do and take the pressure off of us. And sometimes it's just tangible. It's, it happens and we all look at each other and go, man, it's fun to be a part of this together. Mm. It's really cool.
1: Mm. Last thing. Ephesians 1.13 in the King James Kendall quotes Christ in whom you also trusted after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise Kindle locates the sealing of the Holy Spirit here in Ephesians 1.13 as after you believe and i'll close with this that the sealing of the spirit is the highest form of assurance of salvation of adoption of every benefit of the grace of god through jesus christ applied to us through faith and that this is a conscious experience that follows saving faith and that not, not every christian pursues the holy spirit to this conscious Experience of the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Many Christians have a head knowledge, I'm summarizing here, of, oh yes, the Bible says I am saved uh, uh, by grace through faith. Uh, but that the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which Ephesians 1.13 says comes after faith, is the highest form of assurance. It's, here's the specific words that are important to him. This is the immediate and direct testimony of the Holy Spirit as the optimum level of assurance of salvation. And then when you have this, this is the Holy Spirit consciously giving you joy upon joy, peace upon peace, assurance upon assurance that all is well and will be well, because it's not only ahead knowledge, assurance of salvation. It is an experienced, almost continual, being held in the palm of God's hand through the Holy Spirit. And he has this to say, for those who feel like you have not experienced but eagerly want the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit's assurance, quote, sue him for it. (laughs) Don't give up hold God to his own word, remind God of his own promise. Don't give up until you know you have the life of God in your soul. Thank you, friends. 21 (laughs) truths about the Holy Spirit from R.T. Kendall's book, Holy Fire. I pray that You experience the assurance, the sealing of the Holy Spirit in your own life uh, deeply, joyfully, richly.